Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, November 17th, 2016. One of those days, you know, you're looking at the program sheet and going, oh man, this is where I say a little prayer for our listeners, pray for their safety as <laughs> they listen to the program. Thank you for tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Slow, 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 slow down. Stop. Open up that thing called the Bible. Um, if you're a new listener and uh, this is still all culture shock for you, uh, let, me, let me say something about you that might seem rude. You probably don't know how to handle God's Word very well. And as a result of it, this is the reason why you have so many questions and what you're being taught you can't make heads or tails of it because when you open up the scriptures, it doesn't seem to be saying the thing that your pastor or vision casting leader is saying. So what this program does is help you understand where the disconnect is. And here's the thing. The disconnect is not scripture. The disconnect is actually caused by your pastor or your vision casting leader, you know, things like that. And so what we do here on a daily basis is we open up our Bibles. We do the comparative work to test and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex, you know, Christian television, Christian radio, Christian bookstores, Christian media, uh, to test and see if what these people are saying actually squares with what God's Word says or if they're twisting God's Word and teaching things that are not really in their doctrines that <laughs> are not biblical, that Christians haven't believed ever. You know, and the reason for that's quite simple is because it doesn't teach that. So and what we find over and again is what's being put out there by, you know, Christian media and the evangelical industrial complex is not biblical doctrine. It doesn't help us rightly understand God's word. It oftentimes is a twisting of God's word in order to, well, teach for shameful gain the things that ought not to be teached, teached, taught uh, due to the fact that, well, it's scratching, itching ears and telling people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I do feel like we're going to have to play our standard warning today, and there's a reason for it. In fact, the first segment, uh, we're going to be listening to Katie Sousa talking about 
her doctrine of bent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the doctrine called bent. She is very bent. And it's one of those things where it kind of, it's like a slow burn. You know, as we get into the segment, it's going to sound like the standard yada yada nonsense. And then kaboom, it's going to, yeah, it's going to go really crazy there in a little bit. So uh, we'll start off with Katie Sousa. And then we're going to do an emergent update. We're uh, going to be heading to a church in San Francisco as we listen to, uh, Scott Sherman, this is somebody whom we have never, uh, well, done any any type of review from. He's from the City Church in San Francisco, and he's going to literally contradict Jesus regarding the historicity of Jonah. Nothing good can come of that, so we'll pay attention to what he does. We'll take a break after that, and uh, then we'll uh, lead off the second half of the hour with a with an Osteen twin spin. We'll begin with Victoria and her teaching on unity, and then uh, end off hour number one with Joel Osteen teaching us the all-important doctrine of supersized. And we're going to point out the obvious error if you just look at the context of the passage that he's putting forward. And then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Planet Shakers in Australia as we listen to Russell Evans and his direct word from God for the people of Planet Shakers titled Growth. Yep, that's going to round out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Now, I'm going to play our standard warning here. And you're going to see, like I said, it's going to be one of those things as we get into the first segment, slow burn, wait for it, wait for it, and then you'll get what I'm saying. But for your own safety's sake, I do believe we need to do this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You've been warned. at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So we're heading over to Kitty Seuss's. YouTube channel, and, and apparently, you know, they're going to be picking up her program on <clears throat> Christian television, and, you know, you have to actually uh, you put Christian in quotes uh, anytime you're talking about, 
Christian television, and uh, she's going to be teaching us the all-important doctrine, the doctrine known as, well, bent. Yeah, it's not quite the same as the doctrine of original sin or even the doctrine of what uh, it, that is taught in the book of Romans, uh, the doctrine known as simul justus et peccator. That is, as Christians, we still have a sinful nature. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. We are simultaneously justified. We are regenerated, and we also still have our sinful nature to contend with until we either die or Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, and we are transformed in the twinkling of an eye and raised from the grave. You kind of get the idea here. But uh, (laughs) Haiti Sousa, whom I'm pretty convinced hasn't actually been to seminary, I'm fairly convinced that she is not qualified to teach even preschool Sunday school. Well, she's, um, (laughs) she's, uh, uh, has her own YouTube channel and is doing, you know, Christian doctrinal ministry, if you would. Um, yeah, well, let's listen to her bent theology. Here we go. There's a super fun part. Uh, this teaching though, it has some complexities in it. It really is simply about this. Listen to this. Getting healed of the bents and attitude problems in your character. Right. Do you have <laughs> bents and attitude <laughs> problems in your character? Katie Sousa will help you just unbent that. You know, apparently she has the spiritual equivalent of Bondo or something like that. And when that happens, notable, extremely awesome miracles break out. Right. Yeah. As soon as you get the bents out of your life, noticeable miracles will break out yeah like zits it's true listen character bents are one of our biggest problems okay everybody has them everybody has them i mean it just depends on who you are on what kind of bent you have think about it how do you respond to a difficult situation or a trying notice she's not going to a biblical text or some kind of a horrible event that might happen in your life Do you respond in faith, with positive words, with faith-filled statements? Or do you respond according to a bent that's in your character towards a particular attitude? Like maybe you have a bent in your character towards bitterness or negativity or a critical spirit. So when an issue comes around or a person gets in your face or there's some sort of thing that rises its ugly head, do you respond with bitterness? Do you respond with, oh man, the figures that that would happen? Or do you respond with a critical spirit? Well, you know what, that that's their fault. That's not my fault. Or do you respond with a judgmental spirit? Like that person, you know, they need to examine what they're saying and what they're doing. This isn't my fault. It's their fault. I mean, how do you respond? How about like, you know, the first John chapter one response. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How about that one? I mean, that sounds like a good response, uh, at least a biblical one. Uh, well, let's continue with Katie Sousa here. Issues that rise up in your life. Do you have a bent towards fear? And, you know, maybe if you lose your job or you think you might be losing it, do you start to freak out and totally go into the fear mode? Oh, my gosh, I think I might lose my job. If that happens, our ship is sunk. You know, then what do we do now? You know, character bents are dangerous. Let's say you do have a bent towards fear 
and you're about to lose your job or something like that happens. Yeah, where in scripture does it talk about character bents? You respond in fear. What are you doing? You're negatizing the faith that you need to cause something supernatural to happen for you. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't want to negatize your faith because then you couldn't have supernatural things happen to you. Is she just like rolling her own theology and smoking it? Did she grow this theology under certain lamps in her basement? Where did she get this theology from? To bring you the prosperity and the finances and the supply that you need from God. Amen. Character bands can totally shut down the realm of God operating in your life. You know, if you got a character bent towards depression or anxiety, I mean, that character bent can be ruling your existence, causing you to be completely miserable, overcome, overwhelmed, depressed and anxious about anything and everything that happened in your life. You know, everybody has character bents. Probably right now you're thinking, well, mine is. Well, she just invented the doctrine, the doctrine of character bents and uh, created her own language for it. And so she, she being the creator of this theology, has uh, universally applied it to everybody. Uh huh. And then you're making the list. I mean, in fact, even chat in what some of yours are. I'd like to hear what you're struggling with and what you're contending with as far as attitude problems and bents in your character. You know, character bents are destroying our lives. I mean, think about it. Mary- right, not our sinful nature, but character bents. They're destroying our lives. I mean... We, we need some kind of character-bent, unbenting technology. Where can we find the, the solution to our problem? Where does this character-bent stuff come from? When people get divorced and you listen to the different stories about why they got divorced, you most likely will hear the two people going, well... You know, I couldn't stay with him because he was so negative. I mean, he was negative about everything. He never had a positive thing to say to me. He never had a good thing to say to the kids. He was always negative. He never encouraged them. It was just negative, negative, negative. And I just couldn't live with it anymore. You know, that's why a lot of people get divorced because of the fact that they can't deal with the character bent that's in their partner. Right. So those character bents, are they're out there destroying marriages. Oh, man, character bents. I'm saying, I mean, businesses. How many of you want to work for a for a boss that's always like a tyrant, never gives you a pat on the back, never tells you you've done a good job, never, you know, helps you out. Never. Oh, yeah, that's a terrible character bent. Wouldn't want a boss that had that character bent. Gives you the bonuses that he's promised you or the raises that he's promised you. He's a liar, never fills his word. I mean, yeah, that sounds like sin to me. Yeah, it sounds like the fruit of our sinful nature. Huh. You know, if somebody acts like that and has those kinds of character bents in them, you're like, man, I got to get out of this job. I want to quit. Character bents are destroying every part of our life. I mean, look at pastors and leaders. I mean, I hear a lot of people leaving churches because, oh, the pastor was too judgmental. He's always focused on sin. Everybody's sin. You know, always looking at, you're doing this, you're doing that. You got to correct this. You got to correct that. But never looking at themselves, never examining their own heart. Okay, we've got to get healed of these character bents because people kind of like pass them off like, oh, no big deal. Every once in a while, once in a while, I get a little upset. Every once in a while, I get a little bitter. No, you know what? We're having a habitual behavior problems that are... Right, habitual behavior problems. You know, Scripture talks about this kind of stuff. 
Um, Galatians chapter 5, uh, here's what he says, uh, verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, this is another text that deals with the doctrine known as the simul. So if you if you want to see how Paul describes this, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And he talks about the struggle as a Christian that he has between the desires of who he is in Christ as opposed to the desires of his sinful flesh. And he says, oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what he says in Romans 7. But then he gets into Romans 8. But thanks be to God, that, for, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the solution is the gospel. But notice in Galatians 5, which is a cross-reference to Romans 7, he says uh, in verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh uh-huh, are sinful flesh the works of the flesh well they're evident they are sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these i warn you as i warned you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law those who belong to christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires so yeah, here you got an eye. All right, so all right, so these are not character bents. The, these are the desires of the sinful flesh. That's what Scripture says. Now the question immediately comes up. Now, how do we come to be in this condition? Ephesians chapter two gives us a little bit of a, an understanding here, and we'll take a look at another passage here. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Well, how did we come to be in this condition? Dead in trespasses and sins. What was it that led us into this type of a problem that this is, you know, that we have a sinful flesh and things like that? Well, Romans chapter 5 makes that clear. And Romans chapter 5 teaches that all of this is inherited from Adam, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses over even of, over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's Romans 5.19. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we know here we have a sinful flesh. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. And this is a result of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. In other words, when they rebelled, every single one of us who is a direct descendant of Adam and Eve has inherited this Adamic, sinful nature. That's what Scripture says. But, well, what Katie Sousa is doing is she's making her own theology And her own theology is, well, we have character bents. Now, of course, the question immediately arises is, all right, so we have character bents. I don't recall that in the Bible. But where, Katie Sousa, do you think we get these character bents from? She's going to answer this shortly. Trolled by these character bents. And they are sabotaging every area of our life. Yeah. Now, here's the shocking part. Yeah. These character bents have their roots in ancient, ancient times. Right, I I agree. So ancient, they go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in in Genesis chapter 3. I agree, ancient times. Act, they're connected to Genesis 6 when the giants appeared on the earth. What? Yes, that's what I said. (laughs) Huh, okay. Huh. So uh, she she thinks that these character bents came into the human race <laughs> because of the Nephilim. Oh man, this is not good. Hang on. Let me read. Let me tell you the story, and then I'm gonna read you a scripture. Okay, I had a big big time character bent, a big struggle with bitterness. Yeah. I mean. Everything that happened to me, I would respond with bitterness. Every difficult situation that would raise its ugly head or every difficult time with another person when I was trying to struggle through, you know, some issues in relationships, I would respond with bitterness. Oh, I can't believe that this happened again. Oh, I can't believe that that person is doing this or that. They always do that. They, they, if they don't stop, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I was always responding to people and situations through my character bent of bitterness. And it was very bad. I mean, bitterness would control me so bad that I felt like I couldn't even control myself. When a situation or an issue would arise, I would just feel it well up inside of me and literally take over. And I was miserable because of it. Okay, yeah, and this, yeah totally miserable. Yeah, I was a believer. She was acting so much like the Nephilim of Genesis 6. It's unbelievable. Okay, even the leader of this ministry I was struggling with bends in my character. And I remember going to see a friend of mine because I had a dream. I had a dream that there was a coffee tree sitting on my countertop. Now, you know what those... (laughs) I am so going to have a hard time holding it (laughs) together. Okay, so we have character bents that are somehow related to the Nephilim in Genesis 6. And she knows that this is all working out because she had a character bent of bitterness, but she had a dream about a coffee tree. 
<laughs> this is so absurd. Those are those are like um the the little trees that hold mugs on their arms, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so here was this tree and you know, it had the mugs on it and at the end of each arm was the face of a giant. And I <laughs> Now, I I would like to point out something that's going to seem uncharitable, but it makes a very poignant point. And here it is. Have you noticed that that churches today have replaced seminary-trained men who are actually qualified, who've studied and shown themselves approved, as workmen who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle the word of truth? They've run those guys out of the church. Uh, in many sectors of the visible church, and they've replaced them with, well, women whose brains literally, I think, could be argued are cracked. Uh Uh-huh, right. So, okay, so she had a dream about a coffee tree, and there were coffee cups with the face of giants on them. Please tell us some more. I came out of that dream, and I was like, what does that mean, God? Yeah. So I started looking at the words... In this dream, I looked at the word coffee and it meant bitter water, of course. And immediately God said to me, you are drinking the bitter water. In fact, you're drinking mugs full of it and it's connected to the giants. And I was- <laughs> Yeah, Katie, um, we inherit our sinful nature from Adam and Eve. Have you read Romans 5? How is that? How is bitterness or something like that connected to the giants? So I remember going to talk to my friend Ian Clayton and I said, how can like something like bitterness be connected to the giants? And he said, well, bitterness is not just a sin. It's more like a bent in your character. And that's the first time I realized that stuff like bitterness, anxiety, depression are literally character bents, not just little sins that we get involved with, but, but things in us that actually bend our character towards that behavior. So I, I figured that out from his statement, but I still couldn't figure out what did it have to do with the giants. Okay, so I remember asking God, I was like, okay, what does this have to do with the giants, Lord? And I looked up the word bent in the Bible, and uh-huh. I was shocked. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you were, yeah. Did you look it up in Hebrew? I was shocked to see that the first time the word bent is ever mentioned in the Bible is in direct connection to the arrival of the giants on planet Earth. Now, I want you to listen to this. this <laughs> the Dewey Reigns translation. Listen. The what? <laughs> the Dewey Reigns translation. Giants were upon the Earth in those days. For after the sons of God went into the daughters of men, and they brought forth children. These are the mighty men of old. Everybody say mighty men. Men of renown and God seeing that the wickedness of men was great on the earth and that the thoughts of men's hearts were bent towards evil at all times. It repented him that he made man and then he destroyed everyone in the flood. Did you hear that? The giants show up on earth and suddenly all men's hearts were bent towards evil. (laughs) Oh, yes. You see, the giants were the ones who caused men's hearts to be bent. Romans 5 makes it clear that it wasn't the giants that caused that to happen. 
it was Adam and Eve in the rebellion and sin against God. Katie Sousa is a complete crackpot. This is theological buffoonery. And there are people literally around the world looking to her to feed them God's word. And she is literally giving them theological excrement. This is just utter nonsense. She's not qualified to teach anybody, not even your dog, about the Christian faith. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to listen to Scott Sherman uh, from um, a church in San Francisco contradicting Jesus regarding the historicity of Jonah and then Joel Osteen. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> no, ho, no, ho, a pirate's life for me. We'll pillage, we plunder, we rifle, we loot, drink up, be hearty, yo ho. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot, bring up, be hearty, yo ho. Presents Church Day Select. God's word I put on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen the Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. It twists God's word, it puts on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen the Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. He's the heretic and he's okay. The scheme all night and he lies all day. Twist God's word, I take your ties and spend it on private jets. Have you seen my bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. You twist God's word, you take your ties and spend it on private jets. Have you seen his bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. He's okay. all God's word, I write bad books that will land you all in hell. I'll never say I'm sorry, cause I'll be there as well. He twists God's word, he writes bad books that will land us all in hell. Ah! Oh,
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website. You'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the Nephilim have nothing to do with our sinful nature. (laughs) Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see right in the homepage there, it's two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you actually get to pick your rank in our crew. Your rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Uh, lowest rank in our crew is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It, and, I, and I mean that. It's an absolutely fantastic way to support us. It, it gives us a solid monthly foundation of finances that we can count on month after month, which helps us to budget pay our bills, uh, plan our next exploits, things of that nature here at Fighting for the Faith. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by uh, Doug Paget. That's Peter Rollins over there on the French horn. Yeah. This is their rendition of also Sprock Zarathustra. You'll notice that they've abandoned the modernist definitions of notes, and now they're just being led by the spirit in their playing of their instruments. This is so avant-garde, so postmodern, so now. Listen in.
Oh, man, I, so cutting edge. All right, so uh, we're heading over to uh, the City Church San Francisco as we listen to Scott Sherman um, literally contradict Jesus regarding the historicity of the book of Jonah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, let's talk about that. Let's, let's let Jesus talk first. Now, the question on the table is, how are we to understand the book of Jonah? Is it just a silly fish story? Does it fall into the genre of fiction or legend or myth? Or is it actual human history? Well, here's kind of how I work uh, in, in situations like this in order to answer questions of these type. Um, I kind of go with whoever has the best credentials and and let me explain Think best credentials. Well, yeah, I think that's, I mean, if you're going to ask, if you're going to be able to answer a question like this, it's best if you go to an expert. Yeah. And so the question is who today has the best credentials? Okay. Um, is it somebody who has a PhD from Harvard Divinity School or maybe studied under Miroslav Volf over at Yale? Um, maybe, maybe went to Cambridge and maybe they have two, maybe three doctorates, three earned doctorates. Um, is that person the most qualified to be able to answer the question on the historicity of, um, Book of Jonah? Answer? No. No, actually, I think it's uh, a lot, well, you have to have better credentials than that. Yeah, even if you have five earned PhDs, that's not going to trump the guy that I go to. See, the guy that I go to, you see, because the Bible is, you know, inspired by God. The guy I go to is actually God in human flesh. That would be Jesus. And the way I know that he is God in human flesh, or one of the ways we, we kind of say, well, how can you verify his claim to being deity? Well, real simple. He rose again on the third day after he was crucified, just like he said. So he's like the only guy in human history who died, rose again, and is still alive today. So I I think those credentials kind of like trump everything, you know, because that would mean that Jesus being God was there when the earth was created. And, you know, it's funny. He actually affirms the the account in Genesis of the creation and the fact that the you know the God created Adam and Eve as the first two human beings on the planet it's amazing what you find out when you go to the best experts on it and so the question is what does Jesus think about the story of Jonah is the story fiction or does Jesus actually think it's history? Well, Matthew chapter 12 helps us out here. Cross-reference on this is going to be Luke 11. But Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 says, Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, All right, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For... Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will be the Son of Man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh, listen to this, the men of Nineveh will rise up on the day of judgment with this generation and they will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Ooh, wow. Okay, so Jesus is like, Totally thinking that the story of Jonah is for real. That Jonah actually was, you know, swallowed by a large fish. Spit up after three days. 
actually ended up going to Nineveh. They heard him preaching, repent, that they are going to be destroyed. And they repented. And Jesus says, on the day of judgment, the people of Nineveh who repented at the preaching of Jonah are going to rise up and condemn the scribes and the Pharisees and the people in Jesus' own day. Because one greater than Jonah was there on the scene and they didn't repent. Huh. So here's kind of you know my simplistic way of thinking about this. Since Jesus proved he was God by dying and rising again on the third day, still lives today. Um, hasn't died since, ascended up into heaven, and he's coming again with glory to judge the living and the dead. I mean, if he thinks that Jonah is a legitimate story and, you know, that it's actual history and that the people of Nineveh who, they actually heard the preaching of Jonah and they repented and they were forgiven by God, well, who am I to contradict Jesus? Well, apparently, Scott, uh, Scott Sherman of the City Church San Francisco, he thinks he knows better than Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> but whoever it is he's listening to, their credentials don't even come close to Jesus. So I'm going to go with Jesus. But let's hear what he has to say to the church that he's supposed to be pointing them to Christ and the Word of God. See what he says. So this week I was looking at Michael Krasny's new book on Jewish humor. And I found one that seemed appropriate for this week. Two old Jewish men sit down together to meet on a park bench. And the first one says to the other, Oi. And the second one replies, Oi. The first one again says, Oi. The first one, Oi. To which the other one says, I thought we agreed not to talk politics. <laughs> uh, like a lot of preachers, I uh, in the country today, I feel this, I feel this burden to say something hopeful, something encouraging in the midst of all that's going on. And I think what we have in this wonderful story of Jonah is something to sort of stretch our tense imaginations to stretch them to remember or to discover uh, both both the love and the patience of God. Now, I agree that God is loving. God is patient. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving trespasses, pardoning iniquity. This is most certainly true about God and his nature. Uh, this story of Jonah, Jonah the recalcitrant prophet, unlike any of the other prophet literature that you read. Uh, Some of those accounts are historical. Jonah, I think, is more of a literary parable, the genre of this. Mm, But Jesus thinks that it's actual history. Why is your opinion different than his? Not meant to be understood as a historical happening. Think of Jonah as something like the Jonathan Swift of the ancient Near East. Did you ever read Jonathan Swift, either Gulliver's Travels, or the one I have in mind is his essay. It's an 18th century writer, uh, his essay, A Modest Proposal. 
Some of you remember that one. The modest proposal where uh, he writes in all sincerity to say to the poor of Ireland, who aren't actually the ones who are reading it, but he writes to the poor to suggest that they sell their children to the rich, uh, and that will solve all their economic problems for the rich to eat. Uh, the rich have something to eat, the poor will have money. Okay, in other words, it's using humor and absurdity to make a point. And I think hopefully you'll begin to see as we look at this story, Jonah does the same thing. Uh, Jonah is uh, he's, uh, called to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So its literary setting, its literary time, is about 600 years before the time of Christ. Now, the Assyrians are the original basket of deplorables. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, if you go to the British Museum, uh, there's a great site there where you can see uh, some of the ruins of Sennacherib, one of the, the kings of Assyria, Sennacherib's palace. And let's just say that what he had up on his walls wasn't what I would call a William Morris print. Okay, He had reliefs, and on those reliefs you can see reliefs of the Israelites and what he did to them. And uh, some of them show Israelites being impaled by the hundreds. Yeah, impaled, uh, flayed, like having their skin removed. Uh, and there are enormous piles of heads, like off the body. <laughs> not a photo, you know, not a group shot, but like their heads taken off their bodies, put in a stack. Uh, this is who the Assyrians are. These are, like I say, basket of deplorables. They are bloody. It's a bloody, vicious society, one of the most violent uh, that comes to us uh, in history. And we read about them actually in the actual time of the Assyrians and their fall. You read about that from the prophet Nahum. And if you read Nahum, Nahum basically predicts that this wicked society is going to come to judgment. And sure enough, they are the Babylonians who are like the next, you know, they're like deplorables 2.0. Like they come in and they're just as violent and it's kind of the same old, same old. One party's in, the next party's in, right? And it's the, right? Are you feeling me? It's a... So notice he he's not doubting that the Assyrians were real. I mean, he notes historically that they were, uh, they made the Nazis look like, you know, basically schoolgirls um, in their uh, atrocities. This is most certainly true. But why turn Jonah into... Gulliver's Travels, why turn it into a, a literary comedy rather than accept the fact that Jesus has made it very clear it's human history? Why change it? Well, here's the idea, is that uh, liberalism, by you know denying the historicity of particular events, is capable of reworking and retooling the meaning of these texts so that they no longer conform with historic Christian dogma. But instead, they can be they unbuckled from historic Christian dogma and what Scripture really says and means, so that they can retool it to tell a different theological story. This is the, this is the thing that Henry Emerson Fosdick wanted the freedom to be able to do. Think, you know, think back to the lecture that I delivered on the two kingdoms and the role of the church in the moral decline of America. See, 
what Scott Sherman is doing here by making this so that it's not history. He wants, he's now able to work in a very common liberal theme. We'll talk about this in a second. Same old, same old. Uh, and it's, you know, the next party comes in and, uh, but it, during that time, Nahum sees what's going on. And if you read the book of Nahum, he witnesses their destruction. And it's kind of like, you know, the cell block tango song from uh, Chicago, the musical Chicago. They had it coming. <laughs> they had it coming. I mean, he's, he's like really happy for them to get wiped out. And they do. Uh, but uh, this is written. That may be it's literary time. But most scholars think Jonah is actually written much later after the Babylonians have taken the Israelites off, uh, you know, they've taken them into exile. And then sometime after the exile, when they're trying to process the deep meaning God has been saying to them, for example, to the prophet Jeremiah. Right. So a, a lot of scholars, not Jesus, but a lot of scholars that know better than Jesus. Yeah, right. This deep shift in the way they think about the other and the outsider. Jeremiah is saying, seek. Right. The deep shift in how they think about the other and the outsider. Yeah, this concept of, well, the doctrine of the other and the outsider, this comes to us via, well, Protestant liberalism. Yeah, see, we've got a problem here. And it sounds so close to the gospel, but it still is so, 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 so far of the city I've taken you off to. If they prosper, you prosper. That's a deep rethink. Jonah is a literary parable to kind of drive home just how difficult it is to view the other, particularly when the other is threatening and scary in a loving way. Uh So it's all about the deep rethink about the other. No, it's funny when because you know read Jonah in context in one setting you can do it very quickly. It's a very short little book, and you find the the whole story is all about God's mercy and His grace. Jonah has to preach the law, and they repent and they get forgiven. Yeah, see, law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. These are the themes of Jonah, and Jesus even picks up on that major theme, the the central theme of the book of Jonah, and notes the fact that on the day of judgment, the men of Nineveh would rise up to condemn. The man who saw Jesus walking the earth, heard him teach, saw him perform miracles, and persisted in sin and unbelief rather than repent and be forgiven like the Ninevites. Strange, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of how that goes. There's all kinds of crazy ideas running around the church today. And Protestant liberalism, you want to avoid that stuff like the plague. It's like termites. Yeah, it'll just rot out all of the central load-bearing structures and beams and pillars within Christianity so that the whole thing comes crashing in on itself. And all in the name of, well, we follow the most, the, the, the best and cur- most current scholarship and deny that the Bible's really history in certain parts. I mean, it's just absurd to think that God would cause a fish and Jonah would be in it for three days. That's just silly. This has to be... You know, it's some kind of literary comedy, but not history. But that's weird because Jesus said it was history. Moving along. When I'm feeling lonely, 
sad as I can be. All by myself, an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. Like the Christmas tree You know they walk a mile Just to see me smile Woo! Shiny teeth and me That's right, shiny teeth and me can mean only one thing It's time for a Osteen update Now I was hoping to do a Joel Osteen twin spin today But I went a little long on the Katie Sousa nonsense So we'll be focusing in today on Joel Osteen And I'd like you in preparation for today's Joel Osteen update to please open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. He's going to be quoting a verse out of context from the end of Ephesians chapter 3 and tell us the meaning of it apart from its context. And we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context context and context in order to point out the obvious, and I mean this, glaringly obvious flaw in his handling of this text, but I'll let him ease us into it. Here's Joel Osteen. God bless you. It's a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by, be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But I'd like to start with something funny. I heard about this single man He'd been living at home with his elderly father, who was very wealthy. He decided he needed to find a wife so he could enjoy the fortune he would inherit when his father died. One evening at an investment meeting, he saw the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. She took his breath away. He said to her, I know I look like just an ordinary guy, but in a few years when my father passes, I will inherit hundreds of millions of dollars. Impressed, she took his business card. Three months later, she married his father. (laughs) I have no comment. (laughs) Say it like you mean it. This is my father. Oh, what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. No, you won't. Fully confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about supersized. A few years ago, I went to a fast food restaurant with our children we- Notice, it wasn't recently. It was a few years ago, yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, McDonald's is not a place that uh, Joel Osteen frequents. So, you know, this was a few years ago. Yeah, a, Totally out of character for, for him. You know, he, he actually visited McDonald's. Right. We continue. The drive-thru and placed our order. Just when I was about to pull up to the main window where you pay, the young lady said... Would you like to supersize that? I didn't know what that meant. I asked her about it. She said, that means you'll get more French fries, a larger drink, a bigger hamburger. 
Instead of the normal portions, it will be supersized, bigger than expected. That's what God wants to do for you. His dream for your life is much bigger than your own. Really? God wants to supersize my dream? Who knew? Yeah, because my dream is that the uh, Christian church no longer listens to false teachers like Joel Osteen. I I would like him to supersize that dream. I want to see that dream fulfilled in my life. He's going to take you further than you're expecting. He's going to open doors that you could have never opened. Who knew? He's going to give you more influence than you thought possible. Wow, open doors, more influence. Oh, wow, this is amazing. You sure this is a promise from God? Paul said in Ephesians 3, God will do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Hmm, notice what he said. God will do. Uh, you know, so we're going to check, do a little bit of fact checking here, but I want you to hang on to that thought. He just said God will do. We're going to check to see if that's the language of Ephesians 3.20. But just looking at the language of Ephesians 3.20 won't be the obvious error that we'll spot here, but we'll talk about that in a second. So, all right, so God will do abundantly more than you can think or imagine, he says. He's saying in today's language, God is going to supersize your life. Whatever you're dreaming about, whatever you're believing for, God's going to take that and make it bigger, better, more rewarding than you've ever imagined. Really? So Paul's saying whatever I'm believing for, that's word of faith talk. Yeah, you got to use your faith to believe for something. I believe in Jesus. The gift he gives me is the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life. I believe in Jesus. My faith is in Christ. Notice he says your faith is used for something. Totally different set of prepositions there. Maybe your dream is to get out of debt, to be able to pay your house off. That's good, but God is going to supersize it. Oh, wow. So it's good that you want to get out of debt and pay your mortgage off, but God's going to supersize. See, this Ephesians 3.20 says God's going to supersize your ability to pay off your mortgage. He's going to bless you in such a way that you can not only pay off your house, but you can help other people pay off their house. Really? That's what Ephesians 3.20 says? Where you don't just have enough for yourself, you have an abundance so you can be a blessing to somebody else. Uh, So that's what Ephesians 3.20 means? That's what happens when God supersizes. Oh, okay. Your prayer may be for your son to get back on course. He's running with the wrong crowd, making decisions that are not good. You'd be happy if he just... Those would be sins, by the way, but sin's like a four-letter word at uh, Lakewood. Just got back to where he was. But when God supersizes it, he's not only going to bring him back to the right course, he's going to use him to help other people in that same situation. You're going to be amazed at the difference that your son will make. Maybe you're single. Your dream is to meet the right person. You have this specific criteria that you're looking for, these qualifications that you would be happy with. But when God supersizes it, he's going to bring you somebody better than you've imagined. Right. See, God's going to supersize your marital dreams. Right. Yeah. That's what happened to me when I met Victoria in my early 20s. She. Uh, so notice he's now pointing to himself. Well, I know that 
Ephesians 3.20 is all about receiving supersized dreams and destinies from God because me. Uh-huh. Let's see what he says next. Well, then we'll get to the obvious. He exceeded my expectations. She was not only smart, talented, funny, beautiful, but she had the best taste in men. She was a supersized blessing. Compliment her, might as well compliment myself. So, Yeah, yeah, it's all about you, is it not? Okay, so let's take a look at Ephesians 3.20. We're going to note carefully if Ephesians 3.20 is a promise that God will supersize your dreams. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. They are context, context, context. And we're going to back up to verse 14 to start with, but then we're going to back all the way up to Ephesians 3.1. First part of the context, the immediate context, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being." So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Uh-huh. Now notice what it says. It didn't. It, when if you go back and listen, Joel Osteen said Ephesians three twenty says God will do abundantly more, turning it into an absolute promise. Ephesians three twenty doesn't say that though, and you'll notice in its context, Ephesians three twenty is a benediction. It's a thought at the end of kind of a prayer that Paul is given here in the middle of the epistle. But here's what it says: Now to him who is able. Mm-hmm. This is not a promise to him who is able, him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, or according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. So already we can tell that Joel Osteen twisted this text. He didn't read it correctly. He didn't read it in context, and he changed the words. He said, God will do, but it says, no, God is able to do. Totally different concept altogether. But then he went on after changing it and saying that God will do abundantly more than you can ever think or imagine. That means that we have a promise from God that he's going to supersize your dreams. He gave examples. Uh, I mean, example, I mean, your dream might be able to pay the bills and pay off your mortgage. But God, because he says he will do more than you can think or imagine. He's going to not only make it so you can pay off your mortgage, he's going to make you so wealthy you can pay off other people's mortgages as well. Is that what that verse means? He's going to supersize your dreams, he says, is what Ephesians 3.20 is teaching. But that's not at all what Ephesians 3.20 is teaching. How do I know? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner... For Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Where did Paul write this letter from? Prison. 
so much for the supersized American dream. Paul was the exact opposite of the man who was in charge of his own, well, successful business. The man who was experiencing the bliss of the perfect, better than ever imagined marital mate. He was far from being able to pay off other people's debts. He wrote what he wrote about the one who is able to do far more than we can ever think or imagine. He wrote about that God and said to him, be the glory and the pen that he was writing with and the paper he was writing on. They were all with him in prison. Uh huh. And so he writing this from prison makes it very clear that this is not a promise that God is going to make your life a bed of roses and make it so that you can live out the most amazing a supersized American dream possible. Joel Osteen is one who scratches itching ears, tells people who what they want to hear, but he's twisting God's word in the process, and he's liable to God's judgment for this grievous sin, making God promise things that he clearly did not promise, and all you need to do is read your Bible in context, and you'll see that it is so obvious that what he's saying isn't even remotely close to what is revealed in the written Word of God. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're heading down to Planet Shakers in Australia as Russell Evans gives us a fresh revelation from God. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. 
Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Heading down to Planet Shakers. the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon (laughs) comes to us via, well, Planet Shakers Church, Sydney, Australia. The vision casting leader, Prophet Russell Evans, presiding. We're going to get fresh revelation from God. None of that stale stuff that you find in that cracked Leather Bible, no! No, we got something hot off the press here, folks. And even a teaser and a taste of the... A foretaste of the revelation that is yet to come at the beginning of next year. Yeah, I wish I was making that up. So, have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Pop some popcorn. I don't know if you're going to need your Bible, but without any further ado... Here is the vision casting leader of Planet Shakers Church himself, Russell Evans, and his message titled, Growth. How you all doing? That's good. You know, um, I was asking the Lord, this year is a year of overflow, it's a prophetic declaration, and, uh, and I was in a prayer meeting just the other day, and I was praying, and I said, God, what do you want to do in November, December, and January, because... Our years, um, usually how we run our year is... What do you want to do, God? I, You know, I, I kind of think of Jesus' um, great commission found at the tail end of the Gospel of Matthew. Here's what it says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded. 
and uh, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I, I'm pretty sure, based on the Great Commission, that, well, um, Jesus wants us to, get this, um, <laughs> be making disciples, baptizing and teaching all that he has commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptizing, making disciples, until he returns. I'm pretty sure that's what the thing we're supposed to be doing in this season is, whatever the next season is, and until he shows up uh, to judge the living and the dead, that's what we're supposed to be busy doing. We start in February is when we start the new year. And, and so, um, so I said, okay, God, what do you want to do in November, December, January, coming into February? What is the word that you have for our church? Right. Apparently, God's in the business of handing out unique words to specific congregations. Now, if you attend one of those ordinary churches, yeah, yeah, you know, where the pastor, yeah, you know, he opens up the Bible and he rightly exegetes the word of God, proclaims repentance and the forgiveness of sins, tells you about Jesus, teaches you sound doctrine. But, you know. He's so busy doing that. I mean, he never asked God for like unique words that you can get at the beginning of the year. Um, then you know you 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 attend obviously a, a, a sub special church. It's not very special. Planet Shakers, they're very special. They get unique words from God every year. Yeah. And he gave me these two words that were, which I believe I'm going to preach on one of the words next week, but I'm going to preach on the first part of the word this week, and. Uh, he began to speak to me about what God wanted to do in each one of us. How many excited when God says, I want to do something in, in the people's lives. He's already given me the word for 2017, the prophetic declaration of what God wants to do. Uh, who would like to know that? Who would like, uh, uh, yeah, come next year. It's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, we just want to see God do amazing things. So the word that God spoke to me for the next Three months and a half is the word grow, growth and harvest. That God wants us to come into a growth season, both personally and collectively. And, you know, we, we've grown this year in so many ways. There's been overflow. If you think about this year, we've had our greatest conference we've ever had in Planet Shakers. We've launched Austin Church uh, Campus, which now has its own building. Um, our album, we just released a Spanish album that just came out today. It's number one in Colombia, secular, and it's number five on the Latino charts in America right now. Um, and uh, God is releasing a sound across the earth. Um, the band are on So apparently God's releasing a sound, and Planet Shakers is at the heart of that sound release. Wow, wow. I mean... We don't have anything special like that happening at our church. We're, we're clearly God doesn't love us as much as He loves, well, planet shakers. On tour right now, they're in Orlando. They go to Argentina, then to Chile, and then they're into Colombia. And uh, the sound that God is releasing on Earth is amazing. What God's doing in Papua New Guinea is unprecedented, and, and so we are really in a season of overflow. But I right season of overflow. Usually when I experience seasons of overflows, that <laughs> requires me to use a plunger, and it gets really messy. It's a mess. I'm just saying, 
I like breaking down seasons to moments where God wants to do stuff. So I want to speak to you about growth. This is a season of growth. Next week I'll talk about harvest, but this is a season of growth. God wants to release growth into our lives. How many know that that we live in a kingdom that is a kingdom of increase? In, in Genesis 8:22, it says, "While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease." So here's this little statement, seed time and harvest. What is seed time? It's growth season and harvest is a reaping season. Right, that would be seed time and harvest, like, you know, planting season for vegetables and farming crops. That's what that text is referring to. The Bible says where we sow, we will reap. But also it says there will come a day that you'll reap where you have not sown. That's the nature of God. He wants to bring abundance and overflow. Yeah, this is a mixing of metaphors here. Just ignoring the context of the passage and then throwing in other passages that use similar language, but clearly the way it's being used is it's pointing to something different. And then somehow pointing that to this one where it's obviously talking about something literal. Yeah, this is a total jumbling of God's word. This isn't exegesis. This is blur it up stuff. Even in what we've sown into, we'll receive from. But what we haven't sown into, we will receive from. Thanks. That's a good job. You make me sound nice. You can go and now operate on some people because he's a surgeon. So he can operate on some people. Yeah, the sappy music made that nonsense sound legit. Yeah, that sappy music is an emotional manipulation technique. See, the sappy music helped hide the absurdity of the nonsense that he was saying. This was total theological buffoonery. I don't think it's going to get any better. I, I spoke to the leaders on this the other night, so I'm not going to speak long on the, what I spoke to the leaders. But to have a seed time, you've got to have seed. Yeah. How many know that God gives you seed? Yeah. Sometimes we pray for trees and God says, no, I want you to pray for seed. Because the tr- What are you talking about? Open up a biblical passage and exegete it. You're not doing that. Trees come out of the seed. And if, I, if you can treat the seed properly, the trees will rep- reproduce and harvest and overflow. But if you can't look after the seed, how are you going to look after the tree? So we all have seed. And then we have to create an environment because seed is given by God. So seed, the Bible says that we get, by faith are you saved, it's a gift from God. So the seed of faith is being given by God when you're saved. <laughs> he's engaging in kind of Bill Johnson-esque word play. This isn't, he's not actually teaching you a biblical ta- doctrine. He's not exegeting a text. This is just word play. So our job is to create an environment for the seed to grow. Right. I mean, yeah, that all-important environment, seed-growing doctrine. Right. That's called soil. So we have seed and we have soil. The soil is the condition of our hearts. There's an illustration. Yeah, I agree. Your heart is soiled, Russell, very badly. 
in the Bible about where there was seed sown into different parts, and Jesus said the seed, the, the different parts, the path, the uh, the thorns, the um, rocky ground, and the and the good soil is a reflection of our heart. So our hearts are the places where our soil is. And so where the soil is, if our hearts are hard, the soil's hard, so the seed gets choked and killed. But if the the soil is soft and the soil has fertilizer in it and the soil has replenishment in it, guess what happens? That seed grows. Does your soil have replenishment in it? Yeah, that's... I think that's an important takeaway application here. Yeah, you want to make sure that your soil has replenishment in it. Then you have to water the seed. And the S we picked for that was spring water because it's the only S I could get that sounded like water. So spring water. So then you water the seed. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He waters and he refreshes and he keeps the soil fresh. And then the sun comes and the sun represents revelation and knowledge. Right. What passage are you reading from again? Where you've allegorized the sun as representing the Holy Spirit? Or is this just some seed planting metaphor that you've created on your own and spiritualized and allegorized all on your own as if somehow it's teaching some kind of doctrine that we Christians are bound to believe? So God wants to bring revelation to your life. If you stop living in revelation, you stop growing. Uh, Well, yeah, that's probably true. So that's why I stick to the only revelation I actually know actually comes from God. The written word of God. Yeah, I stick to that revelation. So God gets you to get your seed. We create the soil. We let, let the Holy Spirit come with its water. And then we have the sun. And then out of there comes a plant and then eventually a tree and then fruits. So God wants us to go into a growth season. So I'm going to take the... the, the yeah, right. God wants us to go into a growth season for these next three months, right? Yeah, so not the body of Christ in general, just the special people at Planet Shakers. The the name growth, and I'm going to take each letter, what do they call that? An acronym. No, the acronym. And we're going to take each letter to show how each one of us can grow. This is a growth season. Turn to your neighbor and say, that doesn't mean more carbs. (laughs) A growth season. So G is the start of growth, obviously. G, uh, no, actually, let me read Luke two forty nine. Jesus was twelve years of age, and he he had gone and disappeared, and and there was a search party, and they found him in the house of God. And Jesus replied, "But why do you need to search?" He asked. "Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house?" But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew, everyone say grew, in wisdom and in stature and in favor. Everyone say favor. With God first and all the people. So Jesus grew in favor with God and with people. I believe that God is going to release an anointing to grow, to have favor with God. Really? You believe that? Yeah. So God's going to release a growth anointing. All because he read the last verse in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Wow. I mean, 
Who knew that as soon as you read the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, that uh, God's going to release, and he wants to release, a growth anointing. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully this growth anointing won't involve any kind of substances that could get like Olympians kicked off their Olympic teams, you know? And favor with people. If I had a paraphrase for this sermon, it's, it's called growth. But re- You're going to paraphrase an already nonspecific sermon. <laughs> it just gets blurrier and blurrier by the second. Really, if the paraphrase I'd have for this sermon or a subtitle is favor ain't fair. Have you ever looked at somebody and they've got favor and you go, well, that ain't fair. Why have they got favor and why haven't I got favor? But favor ain't fair when you don't have faith. Because favor comes through faith. So if you think favor ain't fair, you're really saying I don't have faith. Because God responds to faith. And faith is the, the substance of heaven. It's the, it's the, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So faith is the currency of heaven. To release heaven on earth, you have to have faith. And faith... <laughs> and more proof you can't do Christian doctrine via syllogism. That was <laughs> some faulty logic there. Well, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, therefore faith is the currency of heaven, and faith is the thing that releases favor in your life, therefore. Unbelievable. This is just gobbledygook. These are the ravings of an unsound mind, and these people are eating this up as if this is biblical revelation, and all of this is just obvious patent buffoonery. Releases favor. Where there's no faith, there's no favor. See, we think favor creates faith. No, faith creates favor. So favor ain't fair if you don't live in faith. But the good thing about God, he's given us a seed of faith to, to, to get our soil right, to, to water, to get the sun of revelation so that we all can live in favor. Favor with God and favor with man. So the first... G in the word growth equals God. Seek first, Matthew 6.33, the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. The problem with humanity is we chase all these things instead of God. Well, if I have this house and I put all my efforts in, amazing, I see married couples. Yeah, the problem with humanity is that we're born dead in trespasses and sins because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. We've inherited that from them. And and before they get married, they're in the church and they're so hungry for God, then they get married and then they get too busy for church. And then they build a house and they wonder why they lose their passion. Why? Nothing wrong with having a house. But God says, look after my house first and I'll look after your house. But they- Right, yeah. So if you build a house and you lose the passion for tithing at Planet Shakers, well, God's going to curse you with non-passion for your own house, right? They chase added things instead of God. Or a girl likes a guy and he's her everything and so he, he chases him and, and she goes, well, uh, he's unsaved but I, I'm going to get him saved cool for the glory of God. It's my soul winning and, and you date him before you even 
And you heard testimonies, well, that person did that, so all right, that will work for me. But the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. So what is he saying? He's saying, seek me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and I'll look after the guy. I'll look after the house. I'll look after the car. I'll look after the future. I'll look after the children. I'll look after, seek me first. The word seek there is the word where you can get the word crave. When my wife was pregnant, she craved certain food. In the middle of the night, can you get me that food? I'm like, um, okay. I, I, I tell this story of, you know, restaurant. There's this restaurant I like in Singapore. And when I used to fly to England to preach, you'd go via Singapore and there'll be a two-hour stopover and that wasn't long enough. So I'd stay overnight just so that I could eat lunch in this restaurant. I would, I would position myself because I had a craving to eat at this restaurant. I would put my time schedule uh, uh, to fit in with my craving. I would position my life around my craving. So if God is your craving, you'll position your life around Him. So seeking, craving after God first. That word first is proton. It means in order or or authority. And the problem with so many people is we have a hierarchical system when it comes to God. We say, well, God's first, family second, finances third, careers fourth, hobbies fifth. But God doesn't live in a hierarchical position. He lives in everything. So it's a circular position. He is in the middle and everything gets attached. So God's first. (laughs) What? (laughs) So God doesn't live in a hierarchical thing. He lives in a circle. (laughs) This is just ridiculous. I cannot believe people are being spoon-fed this manure, and they're sitting there going, oh, wow, this is so profound, wow, wow, my mind is blown there, whoa, dude, this is just buffoonery. First, so that means God's first is God's first in my family. What does that mean? The things that are important to God are important to my family. So that means if God's house is important to him because it's where he puts his energy into, then it's important to my family. His house is more important than my hobbies. I I have people, when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And, And this doesn't always happen, but many times this happens. I'd have parents that would make the house of God sort of part of their life, but not primary. God's house first. Sunday's God's day. We're going to put his house first. It was sort of like, I can fit him in once a month. I can, And so then their kids are 15, 14, 13, and they don't want to be in God's house because they find it boring. Or they're not hungry for God's house. And all of a sudden, the parents come to me and say, Oh, would you please fix up my son Johnny because he's not loving God at the moment. The reason he's not loving God partly is because we haven't demonstrated in our family that God's first in our family. So what is important to God is important to our family. So that means he's more... How about we deal with the truth? 
the, the reason why he's not making God first is because he's a sinner. He has a sinful nature, and he is, well, doing what sinners do, right? Instead of blaming it on the parents for not applying some weird, completely obtuse uh, principle that only Russell Evans just discovered while putting the acronym G-R-O-W-T-H together. More important than our sport. He's more important than our career. He's more important. So he's in the center of our family. So what's important to God is important to our family. He's first in our finances. So that's why he gets the first of what we have. He's first in our, in our careers. So that's why when I'm doing my job, it isn't unto my salary or unto my vision. It's unto him. And so I want to be the best in my job because he's first. I want to have the best attitude in my job because he's first. I want to have the, uh, I want to love people uh, more than anyone else because he's first because he's, he's not first there, then family, then job, then no, no, no. He- this is all law, by the way. Do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. This is not law in gospel preaching, which is the way Scripture teaches us to preach. He's in the middle, and all these things are around him. And when you look after him, he looks after all these things. All these things shall be added unto you. But so many people run after the add-ons instead of the original. God. See, what putting God first is, is about positioning. See, when I position Him first in my life, I'm putting myself in an environment of faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But if you're not in the house of God, if you don't get devotional life, if you don't listen to the Word of God, if you're not in worship, how are you going to hear from God if all you're hearing is other stuff that does not build faith? But when you position yourself to say, God, you're first in my finance, that means my finance don't speak to me. You speak to me about my finance. Oh, you're first in my family. That means my situations or my struggles don't speak to me. Yeah, just yelling like this and raising your voice doesn't make anything that you're saying true. This is all buffoonery. This is not biblical doctrine or teaching that he's giving us. He's not even exegeting a text. But you speak to me because you're first in my family. Oh, you're first in my career, so I'm not worried about the economy because I'm yours and you are mine. It doesn't matter if it's Donald or Hillary or Jimmy Jock Jew or Badababoo. It doesn't matter who it is, who the president is, who the prime minister is, who, who this is, who's that, the, the chancellor of this, the chancellor. If God is first, I'm okay because he looks after me. He says he'll rebuke the devourer and open up the windows of heaven. He's first in my life. To grow, you've got to put it. Right, if you want God to re- rebuke the devourer of your finances, well, that, you know what that means. You better start tithing. Make Prove to God that he's first in your finances. Then God will rebuke the devourer. Uh-huh. Which is a twisting of God's word. Bad twisting, by the way. First. Uh, you're online. You can stand and cheer as well. Around the campuses. 
not cheering me, but coming into agreement with the Word of God. That's why when we speak at our Word and come in agreement, we release something in the atmosphere. That's Where in Scripture does it say anything about us releasing things into the atmosphere? Generally, when I engage in that type of behavior, my wife gets very upset. That's why the devil wants you to shut your mouth at him. But when you go, yes and amen... There's something that happens in the spirit because faith comes by hearing. And when you speak out what you're hearing, guess what happens? Something in your spirit comes alive. The next R, next letter is R, is receive. You can't give something that you don't receive. So when you put in first, you receive salvation. When you put in first, you receive power. So we got to learn to receive. As people receive from God. The Bible says to as many received him, he gave them power to be the sons of God. So when God is first, your ear is attentive to his voice. And then you receive what he says. The, pe- the reason why so many people don't walk in their destiny is because they haven't made him first. So that when he speaks, they don't receive. You're- yeah, you'll you'll never receive your de- density uh, until you make God first. You know, yeah. You see, it's all up to you. This is all by works. It's it's your decision. It's your efforts. It's your doing. It's your obeying. Yeah, then you'll receive your destiny. Yeah, and clearly, Russell Evans, he's obeyed. That's why he's received his destiny. Your miracle is in your hearing, but it's also in your receiving. If we're going to grow, we've got to learn to receive. Got to receive the word of the Lord. We've got to receive the, the encouragement of leaders. We've got to receive what people are putting into our life. We've got to receive what the Spirit is saying. See, if you're not a receiver, see, your, your receiving is all about your perceiving. So if your perceiving is wrong, your receiving is wrong. So... I gotta be a good receiver, so I gotta be a good perceiver. So how do I be a good perceiver? I keep my perception in my heart clean. I keep it. I, the Bible says, "The pure in the heart shall see God." I, I gotta keep my my receptive. The heart is the receptive part of my, my my being, and so I gotta make sure that I don't have hardness. I don't have unforgiveness. I don't have hurt in my reception because my reception. My... Yeah, your reception will just go kaput if you have hardeners in your life. Yeah. You got to be aware of those hardeners, man. They, they they mess everything up, you know. My perception will be my reception. That's good. So be a receiver. Good. That's why being in in family is a great place to be a receiver. It's also a play, great place to get hurt because you get hurt when you're with people. But that's where you go. I'm not going to let that hurt get in here because that will hurt my receiving. So I'm going to forgive. See, so uh, what I said about that, that, that young pe- people, they come to me and they, going back to that story, because I went off that story, they go, could you fix up our kids? But the problem is, they haven't put God first in their family. Yeah, I mean, you can't expect to receive until you first made God first. That first things first, you know, yeah. None of this is actually biblical. This is just a litany of one nonsensical statement detached from any biblical text after another after another with what sounds to be people who are in the audience 
who are paid to go, oh, wow, oh, oh, that, oh, that's good. Amen. Or, whoa, yeah. It, it sounds to me like he paid these people because everything he's saying is just gibberish. It's, this is buffoonery. So they're, now they're reaping what they've sown. So my challenge to every new parent, put him first. My challenge to every existing parent, continue to put him first. And if you haven't, repent. But God will renew and restore because he's good. But I don't want you to go through the pain of what it looks like of not putting him first in your family. (laughs) Receive. Everyone say receive. Now, the sermons from... Planet Shakers are a little unique. Apparently, they feel it necessary to cut off Russell Evans and have like a just some kind of a little mental break in the midst of all of this nonsense. And uh, and so we're we're kind of like at the halfway point. So they put in a little bit of music and then had Russell Evans explain to us, you know, what's coming next as we get ready to experience our increase. Here we go, continuing with the sermon. O stands for output. Uh. See, if you receive, you've got to then learn to output. To right. Have, have you learned to receive? Well, you got to output, too. Yeah. Give. Output. All because he wrote an acronym. Yeah. So you better start applying this to your life immediately. Oh, if we're going to grow, we've got to learn to output. We've got to learn to receive, but then we've got to learn to output. Because if we don't output, we will become a swamp. Swamps become... Yeah, you, you wouldn't want to become a swamp. Stinky, stinky. Yeah, unfortunately, Planet Shakers is a theological doctrinal swamp, and it needs to be drained. It's pretty nasty. They become uh, places that you don't want to be in. There's a lot of rain that might go into them, but there's no outlet. And because there's no outlet, it stinks. And so many Christians have stunk around the world because they've all been all about me, 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 like little baby. Yeah, this sermon, oddly enough, is all about you, which is so bizarrely ironic. It's me, 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 me. Oh, give me, 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 me. I'm leaving. Me, 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 me. I've been hurt. Me, 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 me. It's about me, 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 me. But if it's not about you and it's about him, 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 because he's first. Well, if it was about him, you'd actually be preaching him from a text in context, which you're not doing. And you've learned to receive. Now you have output and you say, I'm a river, not a reservoir. I'm not a swamp. I'm a flow through. I'm an output. Give what you've been... The output. See, if all I do is receive, if all I do is eat food, and I don't release what I have, I'll become constipated, and I'll be in pain. It's true, biology. Because there's no output, there's blockage. And if you've ever had constipation, it's not good, la. You're walking around, you say, people say, jump in the house of God. They go, I can't because I'm constipated. I've had no output. And so many Christians walk around painful. Because oh, all they've done is input, 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 receive, receive, receive. And they don't output. Hmm. The reason so... Yeah, I'd like to meet those Christians, please. So many people don't grow as they don't, they, they don't know how to receive. And so that's why God wants to put you, you, you put God first and show how good he is. Then you receive from him and then you output what he gives you. 
The next letter is W, which means work it. Everyone say work it. <laughs> I've got Ted sitting here and um, we joined a gym one time. And Ted's a very fit, he's a lot fitter looking guy than I am. And we had this personal trainer. And um, so he, he was like, if you, an analogy, if we're building ourselves up, he, he's like the God in our relationship. He's the one who tells us what to do. So he's like, do this, do that, right? And then we received his instructions and we did it. We outputted and then we worked it. And I remember at the end of it, we, he did the stretching. <laughs> Poor old Ted, he's got cramp in both legs. It was one of the funniest things I've seen on planet Earth. He's like, oh, it's, it's like Essen and Football Club crying for the last four years. That's who we barracks for, by the way. He, he was in cramp. But the next time he did, he was in less cramp, and before long, he was running faster than me, and he's shorter than me. That's not right. <laughs> Why? Because he was secretly working it behind my, se- behind my back and doing extra sessions. Because <laughs> he, he didn't want me to beat him in the gym, so he's working like, doing his little runs, and then he'd say, I'll go have, he's done any work, oh, maybe. And then he's like, <laughs> Hey, how's it going? I'm like, because ah, I didn't work it. I listened to the instructions. I received what they had. I did some output, but because I hadn't worked it, I didn't have a greater capacity. Work it. Right. Because, you know, you know, because working out, duh, therefore just create a theology because, you know, this happens when you work out. It's got to be true regarding. Something to do with Christianity, you know, because Jim, that, you know, duh. Why isn't he just opening up a biblical text and showing us these doctrines in Scripture? Answer, because the Bible doesn't teach these doctrines. Work the gifts of God that's given you. They operate from works, but the Bible says faith without works is dead. So you've got to work the seed. You've got to develop. You've got to output, and you've got to- right because you know faith without works is dead. So you work the seed, man. That's not what the biblical text means. Got to multiply it. That's why the seed isn't just about the seed. It's about the multiplication. So work it. It's a growth season. So put God first. Receive from Him. Output what He's given you. Right. It's a growth season because God told Russell Evans it is right now until He He gives the word for the year next year. So this is the growth season. So you got to work it, man. Right. You yeah. and work it and multiply it. Then the next letter is T, for tithe. You said, what is... Of course it's for tithe. (laughs) How could it not be? What does that mean? Does it mean I need to give 10% of my money? No, no. The tithe concept is giving God first fruits. So make him first again. All along the journey, he brings us back to first. First. Everything you give first redeems the rest. So when I give my... Right, yeah. So when you give the first fruits, it'll redeem the rest of it so that it won't get devoured by the devourer. Right, yeah. Which is not an actual biblical doctrine. This is a twisted doctrine invented by Robert Morris. My finances, I don't give my last 10% or whatever I give. I give my first. Why? Because it redeems the rest. 
So I don't give him my first, I don't give him the last of my day, I give him the first of my day. Why? Because I want to have a good day. And if I wake up with him in my mind, if I wake up with worshipping him, if I wake up thinking about him, I'm now the rest of the day redeeming, setting up an atmosphere to be God thinking. If all I do is... Right, yeah. So if you give God the first of your day, then you've redeemed it and you'll have an atmosphere. Yeah. Says no biblical text anywhere. This is just gobbledygook. Worship him at the end of the day. I just have nice dreams. So tithe it. Give him first fruits. Then H stands for honor. Everything of growth operates through honor. Honor the Holy Spirit. Honor, the word honor, if you read my book, it came from the concept of where they would weigh coins. And the heavier the coins were, the more value they were. So when Jesus says, they do not honor me in my hometown, what he was saying is they don't value the weight I carry, the value I have. And they couldn't receive because they didn't honor him. If we're going to grow, we've got to honor his presence. We've got to honor his voice. We've got to honor his love. We got to- If you honored Christ, you would actually open up the biblical text and preach it and preach him from it. Because you don't do that and you just make up your own doctrines, you dishonor Christ and you deceive yourself and your listeners to honor him when he says forgive those who have hurt you we got to honor him when he says go and reach out we got to honor him when he says give to people we got to honor him when he says go pray for the sick and they will recover when you honor the voice of the spirit you grow i've discovered if you don't honor what god says you never grow people ask me all the time how do you move in the meetings like you do how how does how do you hear the voice of the spirit hey pastors this pastors talking to me how do you see, how do you do that? No, 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 no. You don't hear the voice of the Spirit. If you heard the voice of the Spirit, you'd actually be reading the Word of God, the written Word of God and exegeting it because, well, all scriptures God breathe and the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of his Word. You don't actually hear the Holy Spirit. You are engaging in nonsense. That voice you hear inside of your head that you think is the Holy Spirit, it's either yourself or it's, a, or it's demonic. But it isn't the Holy Spirit, so I don't care how you do it. It's clear from what comes out of your mouth, there's no way that you're actually hearing from the Holy Spirit. I said, well, how I did it is because I learned as a young age to honor when he spoke. Right, yeah, see, because Russell Evans, he obeyed, and he honored properly when God spoke to him. That's why he's able to hear God directly. We could just avoid the written word of God altogether and just preach whatever comes to his mind. Uh-huh. When he says, there is someone here. I just did this last week in Singapore. And, and God said, there, it was 30 people. And they're all young. And I'm like, this, this sounds a bit weird. This is not right for this group. He said, there's someone here with a thyroid condition. And this girl comes up to me afterwards. And, and she said, that was me. And I, I felt a difference straight away. I said, there's someone here and, and you have a back condition and God's healing you. And they go, well, that, my back got healed. Now I've learned that when God speaks, I've got to honor him because he's the one who does the work. I've just got to honor his work. 
when I'm in worship, I've got to honor him. I've got to learn that my hands are lifted to him in honor. My voice is lifted to him in honor. My, my passion is lifted to, lifted to him in honor. You see, when I don't honor him, I stop what he can do in my life. Wow, you can stop, God. I had no idea you were that powerful. Amazing. I mean, I thought God was omnipotent, but apparently you are because you can stop God. And sometimes when I don't honor my bosses, I don't allow God to work in me because I've refused to stop. I've refused to honor what he's put in there to be over me. Ooh, got real quiet now. Honor the voice of the Spirit. Honor Him. Because when you honor Him, you grow. This church has grown not because I'm this incredibly good-looking, bald, um, Heston chef. There's been seasons that I've been skinnier. There's been seasons I've been bigger. There's been seasons that I've been more handsome. There's been seasons I've been cooler. There's been seasons that I could sing better. There's seasons I can preach better. But what kept it going over the last 12 years is honor. When we honor him, we value. Right, yeah, see, he points to his own success, and that's proof that he is properly honored in the way in which you're supposed to in order to receive blessings. So if you want to have the success, the blessings, well, like Russell Evans has, you had better obey like he does and honor the way in which he does. Yeah, this is all works righteousness. None of this is taught in Scripture. You him, we give weight to him. You see, when you give weight to him at the beginning, I, I put you first, and I give weight to him at the end. H, I put you first. He's at the head and he's at the bottom. He's at the side and he's at the other side. He's everything in everything. He's the alpha and he is the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And when if I want to grow, I've got to learn to put him first. I've got to learn to receive. I've got to learn that I've got to release output. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got. I, notice that we're not hearing anything about what Christ has done for us. Mm, that's weird. Lord, I've got to then work it. Then I've got to tithe in my life, give first fruits, and then honor Him. Yeah. It's a growth season. But yeah, where in Scripture does it say if I follow this acronym and obey it properly that I'll have increase in my life? Growth doesn't automatically happen. It happens by positioning. It happens by hungering. It happens by receiving. It happens by releasing. It happens by working. It It happens by tithing. It's all up to you. That's quite the list. I hope you get everything right and obey properly so that you can have that growth increase blessing season. If you don't get it, it's because you didn't obey properly. It happens by honoring him. And when you do that, you grow. As soon as you stop growing, look at it and say, is God first? Look at it and say, am I receiving? Look at it. Am I outputting? Look at it. Am I working it? Look at it. Am I tithing with my life? Look at it. Am I honoring? Growth. It's a growth season. Growth isn't about filling the chairs, although that will happen. Growth is about you growing. And when God says prophetically, it's a growth 
harvest. None of the people at Planet Shakers are actually growing at all in the Christian faith. After hearing this message, they are farther away from the truth than they are closer to it when they first got there. Yeah, they are way farther away from the truth, which means they're not growing at all as Christians. Season. You can hear a great sermon and go, gee, that was a pretty good sermon. Or you can go, hey, that's for me. God, I've got to put you first. Is there anything in my life that you're not first in? Oh, God, yes, is there something? Yeah, that would be everything in your life. Something stopping me from receiving. Is my perception wrong? Yeah, so apparently uh, receiving is all based upon your obedience. That's weird because Galatians 3 says the opposite. Galatians chapter 3 says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Russell Evans is a tool of the devil. He is spewing nonsense, legalistic nonsense, self-righteous nonsense, a religion of blessing via works rather than what scripture teaches. I've got to get my receiving right. Oh God, have I kept things to myself instead of being an output of blessing? You know, you hear testimonies, Jimmy, we love you, man. That's awesome. What God is doing in you. Amazing. Brilliant. Brilliant. But that wouldn't happen if there was an output. And there's more Jimmies to win in the world. There's a whole heap more. James, because they're looking for a J word. Jahings, just make it Asian. Jed. Uh, There's more people to win, but it won't happen if there's no output. Then you've got to work it. You see, it just doesn't happen. It needs to be worked. The soil needs to be worked. It needs to be watered. It needs the sun to come on it. It, it, it needs us to go in cooperation with the gifts that God's given us. Then God, again, I come to the realization, you're first. So I put you first. I, I tithe it. I give first fruits to it. And I honor you with my life. But if you don't, If you don't grow, you'll just become, so many Christians, just overweight spiritual people. I'm not talking about physical, overweight, just feed me, feed me, feed me. Right, yeah, whatever you do. You don't want to feed Christians, I mean, no. Yeah, they just become fat if you give them the word of God, which is probably the reason why he didn't actually open up a biblical text and preach it, because... He wouldn't want to risk creating fat Christians, you know, through heavy doses of, you know, the word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you know. So we got to keep them lean by, well, putting out minuscule portions of the word of God. Has he even opened a Bible yet? I don't even think he has. I don't like that anymore. I'm going to go to another place, which has a different menu. But the problem is they eat a different menu, but they never release output and work so the church generally globally is ineffective to what it could be 
because most of it is run by 20%. Instead of 80% of people, 100% of people selling their life out for the cause of Jesus and saying, I want to grow in every season. I remember my grandfather, Mr. Keeble, play income. I remember my grandfather, he's 80 odd years of age. I told this story before, but he, my, my grandfather got, he was a first generation Christian. Cue sappy music, emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience in order to help them make decisions. Uh, apparently the decision is for them to apply these the, the acronym GROWTH in this growth season, because God, the Holy Spirit, told Russell Evans that right now is a growth season for increase. And if they apply these this acronym, they'll experience increase and blessing in their life. And he got saved in the Welsh Revival. 17 years of age, sitting out of the back of a meeting. And the preacher felt the Holy Spirit. He honored the Holy Spirit who said, that young man doesn't know Jesus. Go back there and ask him if he wants to know Jesus. So in the middle of the sermon, a man got off the stage and went to the back of an auditorium and said, young man, do you know Jesus? And he said, no, I don't. He said, would you like to? He said, yes, I would. 17 years of age, a smoker for seven years. So since he's 10, smoking cigarettes, working in coal mines. So really his future probably would have been lung cancer or some life. But... My grandfather gave his life to Jesus. He made God first. All through his life, he said, He he made God first. No mention of what Christ did for his grandfather. He said, I want to grow. He was a person that never settled. He always wanted to grow. The age of 80, around there in his 80s, has this encounter with God where he... There's things that have annoyed him in his life that he never dealt with. But he said, God, I want to grow. So those things that had annoyed him, he, he dealt with and said, God, I give it to you. In, 80, in his 80s, he could have said, no, I'm all right. I'm... But he kept wanting to grow. He said he had this visitation from God. And he wrote a song. And the song said, be my guide, O Holy Spirit. At, in his 80s, he wrote a song, never written a song in his life. He wanted to grow. At 86, he goes blind. I would have said, he said, I want to learn Braille. I said, Grandpa, why do you want to learn Braille? He says, because I want to read the Bible every day. I said, Grandpa, there's things called cassette tapes back then and CDs were just coming in. I said, you can hear the Bible on cassette and you can hear the Bible on, on CD. He says, that's not the same. I got to, I got to read the word for myself. I got to keep growing. So 86 years of age, he learns Braille. So now 86, he's growing. He's still reading the word. He, he's hearing uh, uh, CDs and cassettes, but he's reading it for himself. 86. At 88 years of age, he plants a church in the outback of Australia. Why? Because he decided every season of my life, I've got to grow. And God spoke to me and he said, these next three months is a growth season for this church whoever say God grow me I make God first I receive from him I output, I work I tithe with my life and I honour then growth, seed time and harvest, I'm going to talk about harvest next week, you don't want to miss out on harvest I like the harvest time but there's a growth time too 
See, it's our season to grow personally. You say, I want to be a person who grows. I want to make God first. I want to receive. I'm going to make sure my receiving's right. I'm going to output. I'm going to work. I'm going to tithe with my life. I'm going to honor the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. If you want to grow as a Christian, you're going to need to abide in the Word of God. That means you need to go to a church where the pastor rightly handles God's Word, correctly distinguishes law and gospel, proclaims both of them for repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and exalts Christ in His saving office, actually teaches from Scripture what Christ has done for us. People like we've listened to in this episode of Fighting for the Faith, Katie Sousa, Scott Sherman, Joel Osteen, and Russell Evans. These are all people who are obviously, obviously teaching nonsense. Obviously teaching things that are contrary to the written word of God. And there are buildings full of people listening to them, hanging on their words as if they are the words of God when it is obvious that what they're saying is contradicted by the written word of God. If you don't know your Bible, then you make yourself pray to men and women like them. Repent. Be forgiven for this idolatry. And then bear fruit in keeping with repentance by getting into a good church and leaving these wolves. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.